Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Welcome to the basement, everybody. This is Kyle Brandt's Basement. I'm Kyle Brandt. I have my Steelers jersey on today. The only one I have. It's a TJ Watt jersey. I've never lived in Pittsburgh. I've not spent a ton of time there. I've only visited once or twice. But we're all feeling a little bit Pittsburgh today because we have lost a professional football superhero. I'm going to talk about Franco Harris a bunch. Personal memories, my impressions, all kinds of things. I'm not going to get too heavy or too somber because I believe it's a celebration. And if you have anything to do with football in any capacity, even as a fan on your couch, no matter what age you are, this is a very important figure in the thing that we all love. We're going to talk about Franco. We're going to do our normal stuff, too. We're going to do takes on takes. We have a great one for the fellas at ESPN. We're going to keep you up with all the uh, NFL headlines, some big stuff going on as we head into, I think this is week 16. Uh, It's all going to be part of what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Come join me. This morning, I was doing Good Morning Football, as I always do in New York City, and you get in there in the dark, and you go in my little office, and I've got my computer, and my notes, and I'm working on all the things that I've got going on for that day, and all the things we have planned to talk about, and this is about 6 a.m. Eastern Time, and we're going to talk about the Thursday night game, the Jets and the Jags, and all the big games this weekend, and all their ramifications, just like we normally do. And I was talking to a crew member on remote. I have like this little speaker thing and I talk to them in the production booth while I'm in my office. And I'm going through the elements. Can I have this video? Can I have this picture? On and on. And I hear the voice come through and he says, uh, hey, Kyle, did you hear about Franco Harris? And I said, no. Uh, is he coming on the show? Because we were supposed to have Terry Bradshaw on today. And this weekend is a huge deal where it's the 50th anniversary of the uh, Immaculate Reception and it's Raiders and Steelers on NFL Network playing. And so I said, oh, that's cool. Franco's going to come on. We've had him come on before. And so I said, uh, no, I didn't hear about Franco. What time is he coming on? And the voice comes back. This guy I work with, Kenny, goes, no, uh, I'm sorry to tell you that Franco Harris has passed away. Ah, oh, man. And I was, I was just so shocked and disappointed and, you know, it's jarring to hear that Franco passed away. It's, it's, it's a little bit unique than any other public figure. And even for me, even most other football players, because it's also extremely chilling that here we are and it's Wednesday and it is three days before this anniversary of his most famous play of all time ever and maybe the NFL's most famous play of all time. And he passes away three days before that. What are the chances? Why, why would that happen like that? What a strange turn of events. And then I started thinking, you know, why am I so moved by this? Like I said, I've never lived in Pittsburgh. I have very little experience even visiting there. It's just not a city that I have much of a connection with in terms of my own life. I never saw Franco Harris play. I was too young. I met him once or twice. He's a perfectly nice gentleman. And I said, why, why is this so jarring to me? It's just... Because Franco Harris was one of the most important football players to ever live. One of the most um, really iconic football players to ever live. You're going to hear all these tributes all day and all these things about him and what he means. And I'm not going to give you a history lesson. I know that you, need, you don't need that. It's not what you're here for. I don't know. But when I start to think that 
Before Franco Harris showed up, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steelers, these guys with all the Super Bowl rings and all the Lombardi trophies and the standard of excellence as an organization, they never even won a playoff game. Not a single one. Back in the day, the Browns used to run the show. That was their deal in the AFC in that area. They never won a single playoff game. And they took this running back out of Penn State, this fullback, really, and they had this crazy quarterback, and they started winning and winning and winning, and that immaculate reception, which we'll talk about, uh, it's the first playoff win ever in Pittsburgh Steelers history. Not the first Super Bowl win, first playoff win. They got crushed the next week by the perfect Dolphins. doesn't matter. It was that play. But um, my conduit to watching Franco Harris play was Steve Sable. NFL films in the 80s and the 90s. I would watch those specials. I would watch them on the weekend. I'd watch them on videotape. And Steve Sable and all the people there would show you all these packages and vignettes of those great 70s Steelers teams. And it was, you know, people like Terry because he was so charismatic. And they liked Lynn Swan because he was such a beautiful athlete and all the other great players on defense, of course. But I like Franco. That was my guy. I liked watching him when, when 32 would come on the little vignettes because running back's my favorite position. And he played it unapologetically. And he played it so tough, and he was just this big mass of, of pads and tape and hair. It was just like a, just this perfect concoction of toughness and football. And I was like, that's, that's, that's my kind of guy right there. I loved him as a kid. I really mean this. I looked at him like you would look at Spider-Man or Thor. He was like a superhero to me. And um, it all came to a head, personally, my memory of this, I have a, a, a very small but really important personal connection to me. So I grow up my whole life, you know, I'm in Walter Payton country. And Walter Payton was God. Walter Payton was everything in Chicago for a little kid who loved football and played running back. And I wore 34 in college and I wore it just for him. But I loved Franco and I loved the tough running backs. And I would come to love Jerome Bettis and all these Steelers types. But uh, I play high school football, I'm a running back. And, um, you know, I wasn't terribly nifty or anything like that, but, you know, I could lower my shoulder pretty well, like, like Franco could. So I get to play college football, and I go to college in the uh, summer of 97, this August of 1997, and my parents take me to New Jersey to go to college. And I didn't know this at the time, but I'll tell you now, just by coincidence, of course, just this stroke of luck, Franco Harris's son was in my same class in college, freshman class, class of 2001. Franco Harris Jr., he goes by Doc, and I did not know him, I was not friends with him, but it led to this memory where in August of 1997, my parents and I went to campus, and we're sitting there, it just as you probably have done, where you're moving into your dorm, and there's this hustle and bustle of this campus life and this nervousness and eagerness. As a freshman, you're leaving your parents and you're going to college. And I was going pretty far away from home. And as you're moving in, you're shower caddy and maybe carrying in your crappy little love seat or whatever it is and your, your CDs and your stereo speakers and your, your egg crate mattress pad. I'm doing all this and amidst all that, I look down is probably maybe 100 yards away, maybe less, far. And I keep staring at this man, who this father, who was helping his, his child, whatever it was at the time, his kid. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, is, is that Franco Harris? And he says, what? And I go, see them down, see them down. Look at that guy right there with, with the beard. Is that Franco Harris? He's like, I think it is. 
So this is a this is a massive massive deal. If you grew up loving football, playing running back, just being aware of of the NFL and just having jerseys and having starter jackets and having the stickers on your trapper keeper of whatever your favorite team was. It was just Franco Harris was there. It was so cool. And um, sure enough, I walked over to him. I walked down to him. Teenage kid, ignorant not having been around really any famous people short of going to a couple autograph signings in downtown Chicago. And I walked right up to him and I said, excuse me, are you Franco Harris? He said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I said, it's just so I was nervous out of my element. And I just said, you, you made the immaculate reception, right? He said, yes, I did. And then I had more questions. I'm sitting there saying in the middle of the quad saying, that was crazy. I've always watched that play. What was that like? <laughs> and it, it was like Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. Just awful. Awkward. Not the time or place. Not nuanced in any way. Just a stick, kid, I'm, help, I'm helping out my family here. You go be with your dad. But no, he said, well, you know, it, it was, I remember I was just trying to make a play for my team and we really needed it, and I was able to track the ball, and I was in the right place at the right time, and I, you know, I reached down, and I, I caught it, and then I took off running and ran my tail off, and I was able to get the score for my team. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I asked them for an autograph. Just kept going. I, you know, you got to scramble in those days. To, here's a pen, a paper. I came back with that, and he signed the autograph. I was the worst in the situation. But the point is, he was the best. Now, this is 1997, okay? This is over a quarter century of him being asked those exact questions. Tell me about the Immaculate Reception. How crazy was that? So patient. Not only patient, gave a really interesting, authentic answer to a kid that he knew was really into it. So nice. So, and he's there with his son and his family, his obligations. Didn't have to do any of that. Just kind of said, you know, I'm not right now. I'm kind of I'm dealing with something else right now. But, you know, maybe I'll catch up with you later. Sat there and talked to me. As his kid is, you know, bringing in his his linens and his his school books or whatever, it was just so, it was so unbelievably cool at the time. And I look back at it and I just want to shake myself by the shoulders, but I want to shake Franco's hand because it made a huge impression on me. To this day, I now make my living talking to people like Franco Harris, and I feel like that was the first interaction I ever had with someone of his ilk in professional football, and that really set the standard. Like that's how you deal with. Your fame, that's how you deal with fan attention, that's how you deal with your legacy. And it's, it, was, it was incredible, because I've met a lot of people since then who don't measure up to that. So a lot who do. But when you're 18, and if you remember when your life, when maybe the first time you ever met a famous athlete or your favorite athlete, what it was like, you don't forget that type of thing. Whether you're coming over the barricades trying to get an autograph, or maybe something at your parents' work and they show up to is to sign autographs, whatever it may be. You always remember it. And meeting Franco Harris, I will not forget it, nor will I forget how incredibly gracious he was. And um, just such a gentleman. So classy, so kind. You know, I remember I talked to him for a while. It was almost like I, I had to excuse myself to let him go be with his family, who was also very kind and accommodating. Just really, really cool. So um, I think that's part of the reason that a guy who I never saw play had no personal or geographical connection to as a kid growing up in Chicago. When I heard the news this morning, I was genuinely moved and genuinely sad, and I still am. And uh, I have a lot of strong opinions about Franco Harris, despite not being that, that, that era, 
not being Pittsburgh. And I know people in Pittsburgh are heartbroken today, and, you, and, and I get it. But I think all football players do, or football fans are, rather. Um, tough day. Lost a great one today. A lot of people pass away. It's always sad. There's something about this, this old tough guy that, that was really special. He represents an era, represents the greatness, represents the class that I, I already miss. In fact, I want to talk more about him. How am I going to talk about what I hate when it pertains to Franco Harris? I'll tell you. Let's get into what I hate. So, as it pertains to Franco, I hate the idea that anyone might think or fall into believing that Franco Harris was the immaculate reception and that is who he was and that was what he stood for and that was what he contributed. I hate it. Because this can happen like this. You turn on the ESPN Today, NFL Network, Fox, any, anything. They will be playing him making a freak catch against the Raiders in the playoffs. And I get it. But if you are from the wildly different generation, if you're a TikToker, if you're a Gen Z or whatever it may be, and you're trying to have an open mind and learn about this old guy from the 70s and what he stood for, I'm telling you, no, I am begging you, don't ever think that this was some one-trick pony or one-hit wonder. This is not, all due respect, Franco Harris is not David Tyree. I love David Tyree. He's done nothing wrong, made an incredible play. That was it, and that's great. This guy, Franco Harris, made nine straight Pro Bowls. He happened to make one play when he was very young against the Raiders that is iconic and remembered. You know how many other plays he made? Thousands of plays. Thousands. On his way to winning Super Bowls. On his way to being a first-team All-Pro. You know, as a Chicago kid, and you're, if you're an 80s baby, something like that, you remember that Walter Payton was everything. Walter Payton was everything in the mid-80s, and he was the standard, and there was this massive thing where he was chasing down Jim Brown's untouchable rushing record. Jim Brown, the greatest football player ever. No one's going to ever touch his rushing record. It's, it's untouchable. It's rare air. It's Mount Everest. You can't even climb it, though. Walter Payton was going to run it down, and it's, that's the story, and that's the legacy, and of course, Walter did. Franco was right there, too. Franco was going to pass Jim Brown. Franco rushed for that many yards that when things changed and he had to go to the, with the Seattle Seahawks at the very end of his career, he retired 192 yards short, short of Jim Brown. 192 yards short of Jim Brown. That's how productive he was. That's how good he was. Um, you start to compare him. A thousand yard season, he had eight of them. Eight 1,000 yard season. The only people who had more, Emmett, Curtis Martin, Barry, Walter, and Frank Gore, who just hung on and hung on and hung on, and God bless them. There's just a few people who have had more 1,000 yard seasons. Hall of Famer, 12,000 plus career rushing yards, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, four Super Bowls. He scored a touchdown in every Super Bowl he played in. I know that YouTube and Twitter and TikTok just want to show him making that catch against the Raiders. Great. Please don't ever think that this was something that was just he made one great play and now gets to sign pictures of it until the end of time or did. He was making plays for years. And I want you to remember, this is the 70s. He played a workhorse running back that would just take the handoff up the middle and the plays weren't these 26-word, 56-different vernacular exotic RPO schemes we have now. It was under center and it was like strong right power. And they would just, that would be the whole strong left power. And he played with woefully inadequate equipment compared to what we have now. 
incredibly hard uh, conditions, including the plane surface. None of these rules about late hits or horse collars or any of that stuff. He ran through the gauntlet of crazy, physical, violent 1970s football and carried the ball right through it and came out running with thousands of yards, thousands of plays, one of the most productive players in any position in NFL history. That's Franco Harris, known for a lot of things. Barriers broken, um, legacies, statues in the, in the airport, that's all great. What he should be known for, more than a statue, more than his beard, more than the Super Bowls he won, and certainly more than that one really cool play he made against the Raiders, is Franco Harris was a mother when he got the ball. Over and over and over again. Not one of the most famous one plays ever, one of the best running backs to ever, ever play the game. Tell somebody about that today, because I hate that he would ever mis be misconstrued as that. Celebrate the, the immaculate reception, great. Celebrate the incredible career that that guy had, the guy that we lost today. There's another take on the Immaculate Reception that I didn't know until this morning, and that's what's hilarious. Let's get to it. Come on, let's keep going. You know, there's a thought now that anything, no matter how universally popular or beloved, there's always going to be someone who zags. There's always going to be a critic how do you not like that thing? Everybody likes that thing. No, there's a contrarian take, and maybe not the one you might think you know about this play. Here we go. We've talked about the Immaculate Reception a bunch. Back in the day, 1972, the Steelers need a score. They throw, Terry throws the ball. It's deflected. Franco picks it up. He runs. The Raiders can't catch him. I've never heard this before, but I was reading about Franco this morning, and I laughed out loud. At Raiders linebacker Phil Villapiano. This is great. This cracks me up. His take for a long time was that the reason Franco was able to catch that deflection was that he was lazy on the play and loafing and hanging by just watching because he wasn't giving it his all. And that had this fortuitous stroke for him to be standing where the ball landed anyway, and that if he was actually hustling or giving it his all on the play, he never would have made the catch. He never would have been in that spot. And that is such an amazing WWE heel take on all of this. Oh, yeah, most famous play in NFL history. Franco Harris made it because he was lazy. <laughs> I can only hope, I can't help but absolutely respect the audacity of that take. Phil Villapiano, of course, probably has some tongue-in-cheek on that and if you think that's it he's got lots more takes imagine being on the wrong end of the most famous play in nfl history every Steeler gets asked about it imagine being the raiders on the field Villapiano also says there was holding on the line of scrimmage about three different times on that play all kinds of holding very reminiscent of what people say about the helmet catch, again, and that a lot of people believe the Giants, including my guy Sean O'Hara, was holding. Um, Frenchie Fuqua touched the ball, and offense to offense was illegal at the time. So this is a weird rule, and this is deep into what people get mad about, about the Immaculate Reception. And I don't know if you know this. Back in the 70s, you couldn't have two consecutive offensive players touch the ball in a given snap. So there were no, like, no laterals. You couldn't do a hook and ladder. 
let's say uh, you threw a pass over the middle to the wide receiver and they catch it and they're running with it, they can't toss it to a running back or a tight end. That was That's common football now. In fact, it affected the Raiders greatly last weekend against the Patriots, but you couldn't do that back then. In other words, when Bradshaw throws the pass, having one of the Steelers, in this case Fuqua, touch the ball and then go back to Franco, that would be two consecutive offensive players touching the ball. That would be illegal. But they couldn't prove that, and so then that the play lives. Then, of course, there's people, I think uh, Villapiano among them, who alleged that Franco didn't even catch the ball, that he trapped it against the ground. Again, the camera's not really there, you can't really see. So these are all the takes. A, um, Franco was lazy, there was holding, you can't have two straight offensive players catch it, Franco didn't even catch the ball. And then, during the return, Villapiano himself was blocked in the back by one of the Steelers. You see, here's the picture of Franco. And he's he's at the 15-yard line right here. And Warren and Tatum aren't going to catch him. Villapiano, God bless him, I like this guy, was not in the picture because he was being blocked in the back, which is another penalty. Also, <laughs> afterwards... The referees, who maybe should have said, hold on, hold on, one of any of these things allegedly happened, nowhere to be found because the crowd storms the field and the referees just run the hell off and they're out of there. There's no, hold on, official review in the last two minutes. Obviously, that doesn't exist, but they couldn't even convene to say, what did we just see and is that possibly right what just happened? Or should we say, hold on, the Raiders won? No, they're gone. It's over. Get on the bus. So if you're doing a box score of the Raiders linebacker Phil Villapiano's takes... We have uh, one accusation of <laughs> Franco being lazy, so in the position of the play. We have um, a penalty penalty for holding, uh, a penalty for offense to offense, and a penalty on blocking the back. So one accusation of loafing, three penalties called, and then also one incorrect reception. It should have been incomplete. Just an amazing take from start to finish. I think Villapiano now has become good friends with the Steelers and was uh, good friends with Franco and would show up at some of the events. Um, apparently, Franco used to call him every year on December 23rd. How about that? December 23rd, which is in two days from now, to remind him of the play. And Villapiano says, quote, I think we should be talking about the statue of Franco in the airport. If you, know, you don't know, there's a statue of Franco making the catch in the Pittsburgh airport. He said, quote, Filipiano, I think we should change the statue immediately. I told Franco the last tackle I ever make in my life is going to be coming off an airplane with about 12 Heinekens in me and ram that statue. And I'm going to drive it over the top and we're going to both go down to that dinosaur that's down below. It will go right through my body and his body too. <laughs> that's great. Filipiano basically says he wants to die tackling the statue in the airport after he's had 12 Heinekens. That's amazing. Do you know the statue in the airport is next to a statue of George Washington? <laughs> the founding father of the United States of America is right next to Franco. And I think Franco has a better spot than George Washington. Villapiano, I want to shake your hand. You know what? I want to buy you 12 Heinekens. I like the take. I like putting the black hat on as it pertains to being part of that play. Remember, the opposing coach of the Raiders, who's standing over here on this side of the mother's going on, is, you know, it's John Madden. John Madden was the Raiders coach. And I remember once John Madden and Summerall were in the day on Fox. They were calling some game, and they were talking about a player in that game who was using smelling salts on the sideline, which is a whole different topic. But 
back in the day, you would you would do that frequently, and the announcer sometimes would catch it and show you doing this the smelling salt. And they even had a graphic built that Madden and Summerall were saying, like, whoever the player was, I don't remember, smelling salts used by player today, and it was like six. And then the bottom one was smelling salts used by Coach Madden after the Immaculate Reception. And it was like question mark, question mark, question mark. And Madden's like, yeah, after the Immaculate Reception, I couldn't even count how many I used to regain consciousness. And, you know, in that Madden voice. So he's over here on the other sideline, allegedly passing out and witnessing the entire thing. Um, earlier when I said I don't want I don't want Franco to be known for this play, I love this play. I love all the controversy and I love all the intrigue and I love all the theories and all that. I love all of it. I just want to make the point that he's more than just this. We were talking to Terry Bradshaw this morning, Good Morning Football. He came on. And I have to say, he was booked for like for a week. He was he's making the media rounds and he came on Good Morning Football, was scheduled to come on to talk about the 50th anniversary, which just makes sense. Reflect about the play, Terry, and how great it is, and you know, you and Franco, do you still get together? That type of thing. So the news breaks overnight this morning, and we figure, well, you know, maybe Terry doesn't come on. That ha- kind of thing happens in light of the events. I'm gonna, you know, postpone my media obligations. Oh, Terry came on. So I, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about my friend and my teammate, and we blew the format in live TV. You're supposed to do that this pretty tight segment, and you go to commercial. And we sat there, and I think we asked Terry four questions. And I think he talked for over 20 minutes on just four questions. And it was awesome. Every single bit of every answer was charismatic and insightful and thoughtful. There was no uh, cliches, no boredom. I mean, it's, he's still electric factory after all this. And his recall is amazing about all the memories of Franco that he had with him. And uh, it was just incredible to hear. Incredible. Um, I understand that my colleague here at Omaha Productions, uh, Cam Hayward of the Steelers Now, did a piece and an interview with Franco just this week and sat down with him and talked with him about his memories and all of the reflections that he has over the years. Uh, and then here we are, and out of nowhere, uh, Franco Harris is gone. So obviously look for that coming forward from Cam, who is an, a per- perfect person to do it and who will get great insight, I'm sure, from Franco. Um, but that's all I got on Franco. I've, I've done all three chapters of the show on him. And... Um, you know, there's a lot of players from his era who are very famous that I don't have any connection to. I, I don't have off much to share about. I, I could name them. Even Steelers. You know, I, I love Lynn Swan and Joe Green as much as the next person. Cowboys, um, the Bears, of course. But for some reason, Franco resonates. And I think it's because his toughness on the field, his accomplishments, and I think he had just this unbelievably stellar reputation in the NFL community of always being a gentleman, always being available, and just always being one of the coolest, nicest, sweetest men in the room. And we lost him. So that's our show in the, in the front of it. That is what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. And uh, Franco Harris, you are greatly, greatly missed wherever you are. Let's move on to some other stuff, though. You still do it. You still love it. This is Takes on Takes. Let me get my numbers. Mayhem can happen on and off the field. Get protected from it this season when you switch and save with Allstate. As chaotic as college football can be, our daily lives can be just as intense. Between home repairs, running errands, and driving to pick up the kids, there are as many changes to our routine as there are in the standings. And since mayhem can happen at any time, shouldn't you be protecting yourself with Allstate? Listen, we all know how expensive mayhem can be. But drivers that switch to Allstate saved big. With Allstate, you get the right defense for the right price. 
College football is mayhem, so protect yourself with Allstate. Visit Allstate.com or contact your local Allstate agent today to find out how much you can save. You're in good hands with Allstate. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so I'm cycling through the numbers and I got a 10 here. I got a four. You know how this works. It's been a minute since we've done it. Um, so we get the takes on anything in the sports world. We collect them from the sports talk shows, and we bring them into the ring and one-on-one. This isn't bite fight. Takes on takes is just merely talking heads like me, people on TV shows giving their opinion on football. And I'm going to rank them. After we play a give and take, I'll say, you know, I think that gets a, that's a six. It's not bad. Or, oh my God, that was incredible. That's a nine. And whoever has the higher score, based on the categories of delivery, creativity, and heat, will win the Takes on Takes segment. Let's start it off. All right. Stephen A. Smith. He's been in this segment eight times. He only has a 3-5 and five career. Surprising, maybe. He averages a score of 6.75 per appearance in those eight appearances. And this clip is going to start with the big man, Marcus Spears. But it's a Stephen A. Smith entry. Don't get me wrong. Pay attention to Stephen A. as Marcus Spears starts to opine on the Dallas Cowboys. So when Jerry Jones saying that played outstanding, you are not addressing what has hampered the Dallas Cowboys based on what we've been watching. Do they have the talent? Yeah, they got the talent. Do they have the players to do it? Yes, they have the players to do it. It's the critical moments. The critical moments are how we judge quarterbacks. That's why we talk about Aaron Rodgers not going to a Super Bowl because we judge him on critical moments. That's why we talk about Tom Brady being the GOAT because he facilitates comebacks. He does big things in big moments. Mahomes, um, Josh Allen, that is why. That is what we're talking about. So, no, don't say that 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 played outstanding. Say that we didn't finish a game that we should have won. We didn't convert a third down and force the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> okay. to use a timeout. All right. Marcus, I'm take, a, like, take a breath. God, I, I, oh, man. I, mean, I can't. Outstanding like, is so, such like, the This is no disrespect word. to Dak or Jerry, but I need a Cowboys break right now. <laughs> I need to transition. I have nothing, I'm done with that. I have nothing to add to that beautiful, eloquent sermon that my man Swagoo just disseminated across the national airwaves. Brings tears to my eyes to see somebody talk about them so accurately to just highlight everything that I have been saying for years and to crystallize it in such a beautiful sermon. Stephen A., look at me. Uh, My pastor, A.R. Bernard, would be proud of what that man, Marcus Swaggoo Spears, just stated. All right the hell did I just watch? As always, I've never seen these clips. I watched them first with new with you for the first time. <sighs> Group effort there. First of all, shout out to Swagoo. 
Marcus Spears putting his heart into that take. Damn, Marcus. That was he, he had to stop because I think he was physically tired. That was strong. Really strong. And he's just delivering just the heat. Take, 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 take. Going after his old team, the Cowboys. It's just really good. Marcus Strong. Underrated contributor there, Molly. Molly says, I need a Cowboys break. Somebody, somebody sew that on a pillow for Molly Karam and give it to her for Christmas. Because how many times has she thought that? How many times has she got out of bed being like, I need a Cowboys break? I hear you. I totally hear you. We all need a Cowboys break, but no one, I'm sure, more than you. And then I, I, my thoughts on Stephen A. Has anybody in human history ever been crying, real or otherwise? I, I'm genuinely asking this. Anybody since the dawn of, of human beings, of man and woman, Adam and Eve, whatever the hell you believe in, has any human being ever been crying and use the word disseminated. Ever. That's not a word that is ever said. <laughs> he He's tearing up with the tissue. I, he said that, right? I think, that's what, I think that's what he said. He's tearing up, and he, whatever he's, oh, this this beautiful thing that my that my man Swagoo just, just, just disseminated across the nation. <laughs> There was such a bizarre combination. And I know Stephen A is known for his, his vocabulary words and he's got a great vocabulary. That was so funny to me that in the middle of your, of your sobbing shtick, you still got out, my man disseminated across the nation. Just awesome. Unbelievably great. That was fun theater. I'm enjoying, <laughs> I'm enjoying that clip. Um, Stephen A, at one point, didn't you think he was almost actually crying? That's pretty good. Listen, I, I, I have a, a background of where I had to learn how to cry, and I, I've been in the soap operas and stuff. Some people can't do it. And there's a whole crutch you can land on where you rub this stuff under your eyes, and it makes your eyes water. And I've seen professional soap opera actors use it with my own eyes. It's kind of looked at as like you know a little performance enhancer in the soap opera game. I don't think Stephen A. had that. I don't think he did the water from the mug and splashed it on his face. I think he was genuinely mustering up some some uh some tears there and i'm impressed i really am impressed that was and by the way stephen a has been on a couple of soap operas i think he has look that up he's in like all my children or something he does these walk-on roles all right it's a little bit controversial here on takes on takes because that was an ensemble performance and yet stephen a really was the star even speaking so few words that's a nine that that is a nine the, the first take crew of, of Marcus and Molly and Stephen A get a nine in a group effort, and I hope they're proud with it because that was, that was a nice piece of television right there. All right. You know who doesn't like it, though? Ryan Clark. Same program. First take. Um, Ryan Clark. He's talking about Tom Brady. Different topic. And the Buccaneers, uh, who had a big lead against Cincinnati, 17 to nothing they started that game. And then Ryan Clark has thoughts on Brady and the Bucks blowing that lead. You're up, buddy. Swing for the fences. And when you watch him yesterday, and, and what happens with 
people or players that are as good as Playmaker or players that are as good as Tom Brady, who I believe is the greatest quarterback of all time. Greatest. Greatest. Any fall off seems like a ton of fall off. When you're used to seeing someone be the best that's ever done it or the best right. at their position, when they start to fall off, it's so dramatic to you because now you can't change games. Now you can't plug holes. Now you can't fix teams. And that's what we're seeing from Tom Brady. And that's what we had been seeing throughout the year. Yesterday was different, though, right? Throughout the year, we've been seeing that the Brady, the people that surround Brady haven't played great. The offensive line hasn't played great. The defense hasn't been up to snub for a Todd Bowles defense. And now Tom Brady's not necessarily able to pull them out of that hole. Tom Brady was the hole okay. yesterday. Yes, Tom was. Brady was the problem mm-hmm. yesterday when you yes, when you a- after the fake punt is botched. Now you throw the interception. Then you fumble the football in the pocket. You have a you have a, a, a handoff slip out of your left hand. You throw a late interception. Uh-huh. That's a game. If a Kirk Cousins has that game, mm-hmm. we come in here and right. we crush Kirk yeah. Cousins. If a Dak Prescott has that hey. game, yep. we come in here and we crush Dak Prescott. And now, rightfully so, sure. Tom Brady has earned so much from us emotionally because of what he's accomplished. We won't do that because we look at everything when we view him as, as, as a reference to his entire career. But let's mm-hmm. speak it like okay. it is. Tom Brady is now an issue for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And going forward, he will be an issue. This team may get to the playoffs, but they will not advance. And if he wants to be anything that he ever was or be remembered that way, which he will, he Mm -hmm. needs to give it up after this year. Okay, that was really good. It was unbelievably well-spoken, thoughtful, passionate. Uh, I was following him. He had good takes. That was everything. I give that a five, and that's no disrespect. It was really good. But that was like going at the dunk contest, coming up and going after Vince Carter. You're not going to win. <laughs> Sorry. That, that was a truly memorable takes on takes performance. Ryan Clark, strong take. Didn't really have the levity or the humor, but maybe that's not as what he does as much. Just strong, like nailed every syllable. Irrelevant. Uh, that goes, what he did not do, though, was uh, disseminate to the entire nation uh, his thoughts through soap opera tears and tissue. Um, everything. The first one had everything. It had the strong take from Marcus. It had the the perfect little um, traffic cop line from Molly. And then it had the, oh, let's just say performance art of Stephen A. That was everything. That's why I got a nine. A little bit unfair. If I'm Ryan Clark, I'm a little bit like, well, I couldn't pull in, uh, you know, Orlovsky and whoever else to help me with mine. Sorry, I don't make the takes on takes matchup. I just judge them. And that is a nine beating a five. Stephen A, Molly, Swagoo, you guys win. Just as we all do each and every time we go to a portion of the program called Brant Awareness with the man, Michael Lynn. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hello, Flynn. How are you? Merry Christmas. What's happening? I'm doing well, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We're a few days from Christmas. Oh, I didn't do the uh, the Hans Gruber. What's the date today, Flynn? Is it the 21st? Yeah. Today is the so 21st. So I'll move it down right here with you. And he's almost down there. It's almost going to be ugly there in Culver City. But I'm very excited. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited, too. How about we get into these headlines? Uh, All right. Something... Not the first time we've had a situation like this this season. Patriots tackle Trent Brown liked an ESPN Instagram post where Bill Barnwell suggested the Patriots look into bringing back Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo. Brown, of course, is paid to protect Mac Jones. Kyle, you've given the liking tutorial on this program before. You think this is an accident? No, I, I, I love likes. They're not accidents. And as I've said before, look, guys, I, you can like something and then unlike it. If you accidentally hit it. Now here, if I was Trent Brown and people came up to me at my locker and they said, Trent, uh, we noticed that you liked the such and such that's saying that you want a different quarterback than Mac Jones. You don't even have to say a word. Just hold up your hands. They're probably the biggest in the National Football League. And then if they need a closer look, if I'm Trent Brown, all you got to do, Trent, is just hold up your thumbs like this. You're not giving a thumbs up. In fact, just one thumb. This thumb, your right thumb. Just show them how big that thing is. It's probably the size of a frying pan. And that's it. And they'll get the message. You got the biggest thumbs in the world. You're swiping. Your thumb covers up half the iPhone screen. And you liked it by accident. And you love Mac. And you didn't even realize that you liked it. And that's why you didn't unlike it. You're just trying to swipe and just read the news and stay in the know. And your giant, giant thumb. I've met Trent Brown before top five biggest people I've ever met in my life. And I was hanging out with Andrew Whitworth this morning, Trent Brown bigger. I would just say, swipe, swipe. I'm sorry, my thumbs are so big. I have a huge commitment to Mac and I'm gonna use my thumbs as well as the rest of my body to protect him this weekend as we get a tough win uh, against our opponent and we're gonna need him. So he has a built-in excuse, but anything if she says, oh, I didn't, like, that's the BS excuse that you use, use the thumbs. We know that's not true. You liked it because you don't like Mac. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Why do you, why would you like Mac? Mac is a brat. Mac doesn't play well. And my other take on this, maybe we'll talk about tomorrow. If Mac comes out and is crappy this weekend in the game that Patriots have to have, they should go with Bailey Zappi at halftime. Just pull him. What the hell, why the hell not? You're fighting for your life here. But as far as the liking, Flynn, I will never believe an accidental like ever. It's always, you're emotional and you read something like, oh yeah, and you just do it. And these guys still don't understand that people are tracking their likes. So I believe he did it intentionally, but if I was advising him, if I was his representative, I would say, just show him your thumbs. You get the biggest thumbs in the NFL, maybe they'll buy that. That's what I would say. I, I agree with you. Do you think he's liking it because he's sick of Matt Jones yelling at people and maybe forgets that Tom yeah. Brady does that too? Yeah, yeah. I, like, listen, Mac, you can yell at anybody you want, but you have to like be really good and win. A lot of, they all yell at people. Mac Jones isn't even good, and it's, 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 he, no. So I think he's very sick of it. Trent Brown's played with a lot of great quarterbacks. He's won a lot of football games. The Mac thing could end, like, in a massacre right in front of us in the next three weeks. It's, it's Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. Like, they could lose those games by a combined 50 if they're not careful. So, yes, I do think that. Yeah, it's good theater. Uh, Jeff Saturday making another switch at quarterback for the Colts. Matt Ryan going to the bench for a second time this season. This time it's for Nick Foles, who will start in Monday night's game against the Chargers. Kyle, your thoughts on Matt Ryan being benched again? 
A couple different ways to go with it. One, the Matt Ryan thing. Good God. I mean, has there ever been a guy who seems like a nicer person, who has been an excellent pro for many years, who is an MVP of the league, who has been benched twice in one season by a terrible team and been on the wrong side of the two most famous comebacks of the last 25 years? Man, Matt Ryan takes a lot of crap. This has been an unmitigated disaster for him. There were so many takes in the summer about... Oh, look at this. They got a professional. They got a grown-up at quarterback. The Colts have been lacking that. They have such a good team, such a good line, such a good running back, and the defense is, is so strong. They're going to win the AFC South. They might win the AFC. Oh, my God, it's a disaster. That's one take. Matt Ryan, man, he's had a rough year. What a terrible, terrible F of a year for Matt Ryan, both in how he's played and what's been done to him. Secondly, Jeff Saturday, is this entirely necessary? Do you think this is the right move? Like, Matt Ryan's that bad? Like, you, you just need to keep benching him? I guess. I have other things to say about that, but more importantly, Nick Foles. What a beauty. Nick Bleepin' Foles is starting for another team. One of my favorite football lives ever. Understand Nick Foles. Let's just quickly. Nick Foles, high school level. Same high school as Drew Brees. Breaks all Drew Brees' records when he's in high school. College level. In the same quarterback room at Michigan State as Brian Hoyer and Kirk Cousins. Three of them. Long-time pros, all three of them, in the same quarterback room. Not at Alabama, at Michigan State. In the pros. All over the place. He has a seven-touchdown game for the Eagles. He threw seven touchdowns in one game. Goes to the Rams, he's terrible. He's on hard knocks. Jeff Fisher cuts him on live television. It's all there. You watch the whole thing play out. Ridiculous. That's the end of his career. Nope. He does this little thing where, I don't know, he becomes the Super Bowl MVP and gets a statue in Philadelphia. A game in which Tom Brady shattered every Super Bowl passing record. He lost. To, to who? To Aaron Rodgers? No. To some incredible NFC legend? No. To Nick Foles, he lost that game. An unbelievable thing. And then he has to leave Philadelphia because they have to go to Carson Wentz. Remember when he was with the Bears for 10 seconds? Like, what was that? And now he's with the Colts? What was that? Well, he's starting. Again, it's not like this thing like Josh Johnson, this quarterback right now, who's, who's like, he's always a backup. Nick Foles starts for most of these teams. Like, he is their guy. Like, take us over. You're not the guy in the end of the bench. Just an unbelievable football life. This giant dude... And if you believe his nickname in every respect of the words, but massive guy, super tall, big hands, almost completely immobile. He's probably part of the top five famous play. We're talking about the Immaculate Reception today. Philly Special is top five famous play. He's the, the, the poster boy for it. Just what a career. And it's not even over. Like, he'll start a few games. He'll probably lose them. And then, like, he'll sign on with somebody next year and get on the starting field, get on the field with them at some point as a starter. I'm, I'm flummoxed about Nick Foles. God, I respect that man. It's got kind of a Josh McCown-type career, except the highs were way higher. Super Bowl MVP. You go to Philadelphia right now. <laughs> Is this weird? There's a statue of Doug Peterson and Nick Foles, currently the head coach of the Jaguars and the starting quarterback for the Colts, but they're iconic Eagles. Make it make sense, Flynn. I can't do it. Uh, I cannot either. I take him on the Jets <laughs> next season. Let's, let's do that. Sure. Uh, 
Finally, big game between the Vikings and the somehow sixth seed in the NFC Giants this Saturday. Giants defensive yeah. coordinator Wink Martindale has gotten raves in his first year since coming over from Baltimore. Earlier today, he was asked about the play calling of Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell. He complimented him and then ended his answer with, quote, I'm the blue collar guy going against Harry Styles, end quote. Kyle, your thoughts. It's a great quote. He's a quote machine, great coordinator. Flynn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you free, and when I come back to you, I want you to have an answer for this question. What music do you think Wink Martindale listens to on the way to the stadium? I'll come back to you shortly. I'm thinking Skinnerd. I'm thinking ACDC, um, maybe Led Zeppelin, but I'm getting heavy 60s, more 70s rock vibes from him. Bad Company might be into that. Um, the fact that he can reference Harry Styles, the fact that his players adore him, like will go to war for him in Baltimore, they would, and certainly now in New York, they will. And it's part of that reason. There's something cool, cool about old guys who probably, I don't think he's even being a poser. I think he knows exactly who Harry Styles is. I bet he can name the songs. Maybe that's the answer, Harry Styles. I don't think it is, um, but... I'm kind of hoping the Giants pull this out and stay relevant and stay in this thing. I don't know if they have the gas, especially on offense. Big win against the Commanders, but the Dayball Wink story in New York would be really cool, only if they really finally get that wild card. If they come up just short, I'm not sure. So, Flynn, we're going back to you. Uh, Wink Martindale, as he drives to MetLife Stadium in northern New Jersey to do his job on Sundays, Let's say he's driving a, I think it's like a giant like Yukon or a Denali or something like that. What do you think he is playing as he drives to work? I don't have a good educated guess, but I like this Giants coaching staff, and I think they stick together. And I know a lot was made of Brian Dayball uh, blasting notorious B.I.G. on the way to mm. the stadium. So I'm going to go that he's learned a little bit about him from Dayball, and it's doing that too. Want a fun Wink Martindale story? You know it. So before I came to Omaha Productions, I worked for SNY, and in March I was in Indianapolis at the Combine, and I went to a little Mexican restaurant with my reporters, Janae Coakley, Ralph Facciano, and there was only one other table in there, and it was a whole bunch of young giant staffers, and it was Wink Martindale, and he was new to New York, none of us knew him yet, so we didn't say anything, didn't want to bother him, and like 10 minutes after we got there, he gets up to leave, and he looks over at me, and I had my SNY jacket on, and he says, how are you doing today? And I said, good, coach, how are you doing? And he said, good, you have yourself a good day. And then he left. And then the waitress came over and told us that he picked up our entire bill. Good guy, that Wink Martindale. Oh, my gosh. God, yeah. is that a classy thing to do? And on the download, too. Didn't even want you to see it. Didn't offer it. What did he do? So you, do you think that he, do you think he paid for it before he came to say hello or somehow after? I don't know. It was weird because he didn't even say hello. He didn't talk to the two reporters I was with. He just saw me and made the move. His waitress came up to us after that and said she was having the worst day and just waiting on his table. He was so nice that he turned her day completely around. Good guy. See, you love him for life now, and I think the players feel a lot about that. Same way about him as, as well. You know what my big takeaway from that anecdote is, Flynn? You just out there just rocking that SNY jacket. What, ladies, start your engine. What a badass over here. You wear the SNY jacket to lunch? Oh, my God. That's great. Can you wear that jacket on the show tomorrow? We need to, to spike our downloads. 
<laughs> no, you know how the combine works. You got interviews in the morning, and then you shoot your live shot yeah. at night. So you look for something during the day. Yeah. So I, I went out into the uh, Indianapolis sun with my jacket and my transition lenses Great. and had a nice little lunch on Wink Martindale. It's great. If you see uh, someone walking around the northern New Jersey area or the New York area at all in the suburbs with transitions lenses and a Omaha Productions jacket, that will be star producer Michael Flynn. Until then, Flynn, we will see you tomorrow for more of that special brand of you. Thank you very much. See ya. Um, I'm going to throw a dart. Let's go to the sky, Cam. It's been a lot of show today. We try to give the people as much content as possible. We never mail in shows here in the basement on Mondays, Wednesdays, Sundays. We always end with a throw of the dart. Does that count? That's not going to play, guys. I'm not going to cut corners here. That was not technically in the the, uh, field of play on the old dartboard. So we'll do it again. And that's a nine. Topic number nine to end the show today. And we'll get the hell out of here and continue to enjoy our Christmas week. Kids TV show you hate. You know, the problem is I like most of those shows. And we're in a, uh, you know, we're in an era now where... It's not like you and me, my friends, sitting uh, in the carpet on Saturday morning just watching whatever cartoons they cough up on the network TV. So many options for the kids, and they do the Disney Plus, and they do the Netflix, and they do all this stuff. Um, My wife has a keener eye for the shows that are bad messages. I gotta tell you. Great theme song. Not a big Daniel Tiger guy. Not. I like it, don't you ride along with me, ride along. I like that song. But Daniel just never stops with the bleeping whining. Always with the whining. Life lessons, sure, and I love the trolley, and, you know, I, I love his friends, and Prince What's-His-Name, and Katarina Kitty Cat, all, constantly with the whining. I don't know what this, and I don't, I, I don't want to share that toy with him, and I don't want to use the toilet, whatever the hell lesson is they're learning that day. It's a lot. And you have so much whining in your house already with your actual kids that you don't need the fake tiger child on the TV to also whine. It's a lot of whining. I need more laughing. I need more singing. Not a big Daniel Tiger fan. It's one of those shows that has a great opening intro sequence, but the show itself, I can turn it off after that. That's the kind of show we do here. We have a very brief opening sequence here, and we try not to whine. We just try to say thank you very much. Thank you for joining The Basement, guys. It's been a special show here, and we'll do another one tomorrow, and we'll wrap up the week. Thank you for coming to The Basements. Please close the garage on your way out. Bye-bye.